Hello and welcome. Welcome to another edition of Atlas Information Live. And today we may have a slightly shorter live stream than usual. Boy, you think you have all your technology on mute and uh, all the volume down and then uh, you get a call literally seconds before you go live onto the internet. Um, so today we're going to, as we mentioned, uh, have a slightly shorter live stream. And that's because uh, following this live stream, we have to go into the hospital to visit a, a family member. Um, but we didn't want to cancel another live stream. We've been canceled. We've canceled too many live streams this summer. So <clears throat> today we're going to be talking about something a little different although we have talked about films in the past. We recently had an opportunity to watch uh, Prey, which is a prequel to the Predator film. It's set in the uh, 1700s in North America. And this film has been causing quite a ruckus online uh, among fans and fandom, and also uh, the various camps and the cultural wars. And there are people who really uh, like the film, and there are people who dislike the film. And uh, often, what people are liking about it and disliking about it happens to be the same thing. Um, the belief that this is somehow some kind of a woke film. Uh, that the protagonist is a young woman and uh, she has to take on a predator, which, if you recall in the original film, that task was uh, set upon by a group of highly trained mercenaries. And the protagonist in that film was Arnold Schwarzenegger. So there are all sorts of criticisms being leveled on this film on its quote-unquote believability and how woke it is and all sorts of uh, criticisms but we don't want to focus on any of that today we want to focus on the status of this film as a work of esotericism as uh, surprising as that may be to hear this film is saturated with esoteric symbolism and profound universal truths related to the path and in particular related to the path of the warrior you may think of yourself as a spiritual warrior paulo coelho wrote a book 
called the spiritual warrior. We believe that's a title. And there are many, many countless individuals in the new age who certainly count themselves to be spiritual warriors. This film teaches us what it means to be a true spiritual warrior and what it is that we have to do, the work that we have to go about accomplishing and how we go about accomplishing that work and who within us, what force, what capacity, what property within us is able to complete that work on our behalf if we cooperate with it. This is the primary reason why the protagonist is female. Because as we have mentioned many, many times, the most important force in our life is our own individual Divine Mother. Our sexual force, the Divine Mother Devi Kundalini Shakti. It is that force which has the power to create and to destroy. And it is from that force that we receive our weapons, our armaments, with which we go to war, with which we become a hunter. And not just any hunter, but a hunter of that which is hunting us. And if you're familiar with the Predator films, you know that the Predator is a hunter. The Predator, of course, in the lore of the film, is a, an alien, an extraterrestrial, who comes to Earth, or whatever planet, to hunt its indigenous life forms. And the more dangerous, the more threatening, the better. The better the prize, the, the, the more thrilling the kill. Now, of course, this is ridiculous. There are no extraterrestrials who behave this way. Um, other humanities who have the capacity for interstellar travel are enlightened humanities, and they do not partake in these sorts of activities. So the predator is therefore an allegory, a symbol. And the closest mythological or um, fantastical creature we have that we can relate it to is, uh, let's say, a demon. Because the predator wants its prize. It wants, it always takes something which belonged to its prey. And the predator is born to hunt. It lives to hunt. It's all it does. And it wants its prize. In many ways, then, it is similar, or rather, it is not dissimilar to other science fiction adversaries like the Terminator or 
Alien, uh, Ridley Scott's Alien, or James Cameron's Aliens, plural. Because again, in those films, in all of these sci-fi films, Terminator, Aliens, and Predator, the adversary, the, the antagonist, has a machine-like quality. I mean, in the Terminator, it's literally a machine. It is the most machine-like. Arguably, the alien is the next most machine-like in its, or insect-like in its, in its total commitment to the task of um, killing or capturing and cocooning its uh, victims, the, the protagonists of the film. It's single-minded focus. It's, it's, it's almost, again, it's almost machine-like. The Predator has that. It has that single-minded focus, but the Predator also has certain rules that it follows. And then, of course, it also has weaknesses, et cetera, et cetera, strengths and weaknesses, and, and it has a, a whole plethora of killing technology at its disposal. So there's many, many, many ways in which the predator can fulfill its desire to kill and to get its trophy. But it doesn't... It won't attack or kill prey that is harmless or helpless because there's no sport in it and the other thing that it won't do because it cannot do is it cannot see it can only it sees in heat plumes its vision is infrared in that sense so it it only sees heat signatures so if something is able to block the heat signature, then it becomes invisible to the predator. And the predator, of course, has this cloaking device, this invisibility shield that it uses because it hunts in stealth. For all of its grandiose uh, philosophies about not killing what is what is a threat and what isn't the threat and what is helpless, uh, the predator has very little honor in the way of killing from stealth. It, like, like hunters here on Earth, hunters have no problem wearing camouflage and covering themselves in leaves and everything else, right? To be able to, and they'll bait their, uh, their prey. So the predator is really based on terrestrial human hunting uh, traditions. It's just aggrandized into this supernatural science fiction extraterrestrial you know eight foot tall 300 pound uh monster now why are we discussing all this why are we talking about this because the predator is an allegory for a demon an ego and indeed all egos, or we can say an amalgamation of our egos. The predator is our individual shaitan, 
It is the adversary which we must hunt. We must hunt it actively. Because if we don't, we will become its prey. Because we are its prey. We are its preferred prey. Our consciousness and our sexual energy. That single-mindedness of the predator, like the Terminator, like aliens, like these hyperbolic, mechanical, single-minded adversaries, are that way because they are projections of our ego, because they are allegories for demons, because demons are that way. They cannot be negotiated with. They cannot be bargained with, reasoned with. They have no remorse. They simply do what they do, which is a line from Jurassic Park, which is another film that postulates a fantastical scenario whereby humans and dinosaurs are thrown in together. And the dinosaurs, um, Dr. Malcolm says, they just kind of do what they do. Or it's, not doc, it's not Dr. Malcolm. It's uh, Dr. Grant who says they, they kind of do what they do. They just do what they do. And egos do what they do. Our individual shaitan, the adversary, does what it does. And that is oppose and oppress and twist and tempt and corrupt us and make us fall. That's its purpose. And our purpose then is to be a hunter of that adversary. In the way that Naru, the female protagonist of Prey, who is a uh, Comanche, her story arc is that she wants to hunt. Now, we, will, uh, we, we have to warn you that there's going to be spoilers in today's talk. So if you're concerned about that type of thing and you are worried about us spoiling the film, then uh, you may not want to, um, to tune in. Um, but if you're not worried about spoilers and you want to have a better insight into what you're watching as you watch it, then, then, um, then keep following along. Naru is a female Comanche warrior, and her story arc is that she wants to hunt. She wants to be a hunter. Now, as a female, she knows what's expected of her. Her tribe expects her to, you know, gather and do all the you know, typical um, work of women in the tribe. But she has it that she wants to be a hunter. And early on in the film, she sees a sign in the sky, and that's the predator's spaceship moving through the clouds. And she calls it a sign, and she calls it the Thunderbird. And the Thunderbird is equivalent to the Phoenix. And the Phoenix, of course, is that mythological creature which dies consumed in its own flames and then rises again from the ashes. And it is this Thunderbird, this sign that Nairu sees, 
which she interprets as a sign that it is time for her to undergo her katamiya. And katamiya means a rite of passage for a hunter to hunt something that is hunting them. It is a... Uh, so it's not enough to just go and hunt deer or or some other animal like that. You have to hunt a bear or a mountain lion or something like that. And that's she takes this as a sign when she sees that spaceship. Because, of course, she doesn't know what it is. It's in the clouds. It's obscured. But she she takes it as a sign, as, as the Thunderbird, the mythological Thunderbird, the phoenix. So shortly thereafter, we're introduced to the Predator. Now, the introduction of the Predator... See, the, the ship doesn't land. The ship just kind of drops him off so he can begin his hunt. And the introduction of the predator happens in a most remarkable way. Of all the ways that, of all the animals, of all the choices that could have been made for the predator's first kill, His first kill is a snake, a serpent, and he skins it. Now, why a serpent? Of all the possible animals in North America to choose from, why a snake of all things? The reason is, of course, is that the snake is the universal symbol for the sexual energy. Divine Mother Devi Kundalini Shakti. A serpent, like the serpents rising up the caduceus of Mercury, or the staff of Hermes. They represent the, the prana, the sexual force. And right away, and interestingly enough, that's... Uh, Snake was also hunting. But the predator uses its claws. It has these retractable claws and it um, it stabs this snake in the head and it skins it. Right away, as we were watching this film, right away, we recognized that this film was going to be chock full of esoteric symbolism. With that very first introduction of the predator. Stealing the serpent's skin and killing the serpent. The serpent is a sexual force. That is what our egos, our demons, desire. That is what they work with. That is what they are hunting in us. So, after that introduction, we discover that a mountain lion um, is in the area and that one of the tribesmen is missing. So, uh, 
Naru's brother organizes a, uh, a party of hunters to go out looking for him. And Naru tags along. And um, Naru's brother, the, the, the rest of the hunters, they're not very keen on Naru following, following them. Um, but her brother says, no, she's a, she's a good tracker. And she has medicine. And if we find him and he's hurt, um, she, her medicine will be very useful. So in this way, the, the others allow her to uh, allow her to uh, tag along. Now this is also important to note that medicine in the native tradition is not just uh, the capacity to heal. Medicine is also their word for magic, for metaphysical power, the ability to converse with spirits, for example. Medicine to Native North Americans, it's almost equivalent to manas in Sanskrit or divine mind. And her brother says, you know, she should come with us because she's a good tracker and, uh, and she has medicine. So we're just pulling up, um, yeah. Some of these character names can be, um, we didn't want to get them wrong. So uh, her brother's name is Ta'abi. And um, she is Naru. Okay. But she's a good tracker, Naru. She's very observant. You have to be observant to be a good tracker, to track your prey. And indeed, she helps them and they find the lost tribesmen. And when they find him, he has been mauled by a mountain lion. But he has three gashes on his shoulder. Only three. Last time we checked, mountain lions have paws. And like all mammals, they have, they have not, not three claws. They have, what, five. But he only has three gashes. And she starts treating him. So why three gashes? Mountain lions, so in this film, the lions or the animal self the the ego is represented in mechanical nature, the amalgamation of all the egos as the, as a demon, as our shaitan, our adversary as the predator, but also later on we will 
there's another level of ego. There's another level of demonic force, which is represented, allegorized in the film. And we'll get to that in a minute. So it's important to note here that even though there's this mountain lion and mauled this fellow from the camp, from the tribe, the three gashes represent our three brains. The mental center, the emotional center, and the motor instinctive sexual center, or mind, heart, and body. Because that is where our animal selves, our animal instincts, and our egos, which work from mechanical nature, our animal lower selves, that's where they get us. That's how they maul us. That's how they attack us. That's how they hunt us. We are their prey. Just like this fellow from the tribe, from the village, was going to end up as prey to this mountain lion. But of course, Naru points out that something must have scared the lion away. She has this observant aspect to her, and she, but she's also, she can deduce, she can comprehend from what she observes what's going on or what happened. But she's not yet a particularly good hunter. And we find that out when she tells her brother that uh, they should bait the lion and they should they should hunt the lion that way so that they will bait bait it and when the lion comes they'll they'll kill it um and sure enough this happens and naru finds herself face to face with this lion and uh and she falls she falls from it from the tree and she hits her head and she ends up unconscious so in other words she falls asleep Her brother ends up carrying her back to the village. And he also goes and ends up hunting the lion, uh, the mountain lion. And he kills it and brings it back to the village. But she's out cold. She has a terrible headache. She hit her head. She fell out of a tree, after all. So what is this significant of? In this humanity... It is the fallen Eve. It is our Ida of the two energetic channels in the human body. It is our Ida which is fallen. This is what is allegorized in the book of Genesis when Eve is tempted by the serpent. And she eats the apple and she convinces Adam to eat the apple and humanity falls. Well, Adam and Eve represent, among other things, they represent the energetic channels, Ida and Pingala, the masculine, feminine channels, the Nadi that are intertwined above the spinal column, which are the two serpents on either side of the caduceus of Mercury. And this lion, this beast, hunts Naru and Naru falls 
and she falls asleep. She falls unconscious. When she awakens, she finds that it is her mother that is nursing her back to health, that is taking care of her. This is important. At each and every point in this story, we have to be able to shift our comprehension and understand that there are many levels of symbolism and that each character can at once represent multiple different levels. So when we say, for example, Naru and her brother represent Idan Pingala, the two energetic channels, that doesn't mean that that's all they represent and that they're, they're, they're fixed into that definition. Because of course, Naru is also the protagonist. She wants to be a hunter. And when she falls and she falls asleep, it's her mother which nurses her back to health. That's her Divine Mother. Yes, Naru is a representation of the Feminine Force, and here, the Feminine Force falling. But that Feminine Force exists within all of us, male or female. And just because the negative energetic channel in us has fallen and created the kunda buffer organ or the tail of satan because that's what that represents it doesn't mean that our individual divine mother is not there looking after us protecting us and giving us everything that we need to nurse us back to health so we can get back into the hunt which is precisely what Naru intends to do because she saw footprints out there that were bigger than a bear. She didn't know what they were. She says there's something else out there and she's going to go and she's going to go get it. Meanwhile, her brother returns with the, with the dead lion, with the, the lion that he hunted. So he is the lion heart. The lion, Leo, is associated with the heart. That's where that term comes from, lion heart, Leo heart. And because he was able to perform that feat as the master hunter, he's given the staff of the war chief. Now the staff, in every mythology, whether it's the staff of Moses or the staff of Ra, or it doesn't matter what staff we're talking about, or swords or, and, and whatnot, they always represent the spinal column. And in fact, the staff of the war chief even looks like a shepherd's crook, which looks very much like a spinal column. And the energy going up over the top of the head, crown chakra, uh, um, pineal gland or third eye chakra, then down into the heart, that shape of the, uh, the shepherd's crook. And so he's given the, 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 the staff of the war chief. It's representative of he was able to defeat that animal that was hunting through the heart, 
through the emotional center, and he was able to defeat it. But Naru says there's something else out there. And Naru goes out to find it by herself. And she says, if they don't see, we'll show them. And Naru has, as her hunting companion, her dog. Her loyal animal self. As we all do, as we're all supposed to have a Hanuman to her Arjuna, right? Hanuman, the monkey god. This is, again, a symbol for the physical body, the vessel, the vehicle. If we're going to be a hunter, we need a physical vessel, a vehicle, like Tony Stark is just a billionaire. If he wants to be a superhero, he has to have his Iron Man suit. That's what makes him a superhero. Without that, he's just a weakling. He's just a billionaire. He has lots of money, but he can't do anything. He's not a superhero. He needs his Iron Man suit. So always, you see in mythologies, uh, the hero, the protagonist, always has some sort of companion. Whether it's an animal companion, or it has a, a machine companion with an AI, a personality like Jarvis, which is Tony Stark's, the AI in Tony Stark's suit. Or we can look to Lord of the Rings, where Frodo, Master Frodo, has his dedicated, loyal companion, Sam, his gardener, the one who keeps and tends his garden, for heaven's sake, agrees to go with him into Mordor to destroy the ring. So here we have Naru and her animal self, her animal companion, um, her dog. As we mentioned, the predator um, only sees heat signatures. That's the fire. That's the prana. That's what egos want. That's what they feed on, our sexual force. That's their food. And so he is, he is attracted to that. And so if it's not hot, he not only doesn't care, he, he can barely see it. Or if he, if he sees it, it just blends into the background. It's just, it's, it's, it's of no concern to him. He doesn't care. If there's heat, there's life, there's blood, there's, there's, that's what he wants. There's a trophy to be had there. So Naru falls into a bog. And, um, and she uses her stone tomahawk and a rope uh, to climb out. She is confronted by hunters from her tribe who were sent to find her because the tribe was worried that she had gone out alone. And here we have an encounter where we discover how the predator kills this particular predator. He has his laser sights and he can fire these bolts, which are like little guided missiles they don't explode they're just bolts like from a from a crossbow 
but they hone in and they hit wherever the laser pointers are pointing. And he has three laser pointers and he can shoot three bolts. And again, there's the number three. Mind, heart, body. That's how the demons hunt. That's how they get what they want. Through our mind, through our mental center, our emotional center, and our motor instinctive sexual center. That's how the egos feed. That's how they hunt us in those centers. So the predator kills with these three bolts. And what happens is Nara gets her foot caught in a trap. And um, the trappers come, and they're French-Canadian trappers. They come and they knock her unconscious. They're depicted as filthy, crude, rude, obnoxious. They are lesser egos. They're not full-blown demons. They're not predators. They're not on that level. But they are trappers. They are hunters. But they're hunters at a lower level. And they cage Naru. They put her in a, in a cage and they expect to be able to have their way with her at some point. But first, they want to know what she saw. And they say to her, if you were smart, you would help us. And this is exactly how egos approach us. Exactly the kind of rationalizations and justification and ransom that the egos put us to. They'll set us up into circumstances. And they'll say, if you're smart, you'd give in to us. You'd give in. So whatever... Uh, you know, pick an ego. So you might, we might find ourselves falling into depression or anxiety. And then all of a sudden, we have a desire to go and eat a whole ton of carbohydrates or sugar or, or smoke something or drink something, alcohol maybe. And those voices in our said, head are saying, oh, no, if you're smart, you would give in because it'll make you feel better. They set us up. They take us hostage. And they come up with these rationalizations, these excuses, these reasons, all the reasons why we should give in to their demands. These trappers have also caught her brother. And uh, these trappers decide that they're going to bait the predator using Naru and her brother. So they tie Naru and her brother to a tree. And of course, the predator shows up. And the predator fairly quickly dispatches of most of the trappers, despite the fact that they have muskets. But the predator has a, a collapsible shield and all sorts of gadgets and all sorts of weaponry. These, these trappers represent lesser egos. And if you have ever experienced competing voices in your head or competing desires you will know 
that egos fight amongst themselves. And you maybe have also experienced that all of us have a particular psychological song or sort of dominant ego, which tends to rule the roost most of the time. And in the case of uh, bickering among themselves, uh, these lesser egos, these, these voices in our head can be creating these arguments and this conflict within us. But then very often we will find that there's this, this long-running dominant ego that tends to possess us and cause us many problems in the same repeating situations, circumstances over and over and over again. In our particular case, that, that's the demon of fear. That was our, that's been our dominant ego throughout our life was fear. And so very often if we found ourselves with other egos uh, coming into conflict, um, fear always won out. So as an example, uh, as a younger man and, um, you know, being out like university at a, at a, at a bar or a pub or in a public place or whatever, and seeing a very beautiful woman, obviously the ego of lust wanted us to go over and say hello. And the ego of pride perhaps wanted us to, to, to do that as well because, because, wow, wouldn't she, wow, what, what, a, what a great girlfriend she would be. How fabulous would, she, would uh, we look with her on our arm? That's pride. And we freely admit to having thoughts like this in our younger years. But very often, or, or most often, most often, we never went up to that woman, never introduced ourselves, never said hello. Because fear won the argument. Fear won the day. It didn't matter how powerful our, our lust was. didn't matter how powerful our pride was. They were nothing. They were, they were uh, raggedy old French-Canadian trappers compared to our predator, our demon of fear, which is a full-blown predator who could take on an entire company of these trappers with no problem. That's how powerful our demon was, and that's how powerful the predator is in the film. Keep in mind, they're all hunters. Trappers are hunters. We call them trappers, but they all have guns. And, and th there's another scene in the film where uh, Nauru comes across a, uh, a field of uh, dead bison. And they've all been skinned. And uh, in the trapper's camp, she sees that one of the trappers is wearing, wearing a, a buffalo skin. So she knows that they, they are the ones who killed the buffalo. It's a scene very similar to um, uh, the one from Dances with Wolves, if you remember that film. Where the buffaloes are just left there skinned alive. The trappers took their, their, their skins, their, the leather, the fur, and they, they left everything else, the, the carcasses, to rot there. So this is significant because it's showing us 
the different levels. We have animals, we have mountain lions, we have uh, a bears, because now it gets attacked by a bear at one point as well. So we have those kinds of like pure animal instincts, but then we have the more clever egos, the ones who rationalize, the ones who will trap us and hold us at ransom and threaten us and use us to get what they want. And they're the ones who rationalize with us and come up with judgments and they're very, they're very clever. And then we have the really powerful demons, the really powerful egos, the ones that dominate us in our life, if we're honest with ourselves. So the predator dispatches the trappers and uh, Naru and her brother manage to escape again because Naru is observant and she sees that there's a, 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 a trap nearby and one of these, you know, the kind that you step on and it clamps like this. And she said that she once saw a beaver uh, get caught in a trap and it gnawed its own leg off to get out of the trap rather than, than, be, than be killed. And, um, and so she, she manages to put herself in a position where she can trigger the trap and the trap snaps shut and it cuts her ropes so she and her, uh, her brother can escape. And uh, her brother goes to uh, fetch some horses. And Naru returns to the trapper's camp to free her dog. And here, again, we see that that uh, universal archetype of the hero going to get an animal because she can't continue without her trusty companion. And her brother goes to fetch horses the same way because we need our physical vessel. We need our physical um hanuman in order to to do our work as hunters naru and her brother together fight the predator and it's here that naru begins to observe in great detail <clears throat> the predator's weapons how they work She's, she, she's careful to pay attention to where the danger lies in the predator's weapons. Over the course of events, over the course of the of fight, Naru's brother uh, sacrifices himself to, uh, so that Naru could es can escape. And she does. And uh, what she she then sets traps. She uses uh, one of the remaining French Canadian trappers who's still alive. She uses him as bait, and a uh, and a bonfire, to uh, to attract the predator. Naru. It's important to note that Naru has a uh, type of medicine, an herb, that causes the body to get chills and to go cold. And she uses this to, uh, to help several characters throughout the film with their pain. It's a painkiller, basically. But it's literally like freezing the person from within. It causes their whole body to, uh, to get cold. So she takes this medicine herself 
because she noticed, she witnessed that one uh, character that she gave this to, that character became invisible to the predator. So she takes it herself. So this means now that the, the odds are, are even because the predator has his invisibility cloak. She has her, she now makes herself invisible to the predator. And um, they, they fight. And in the end, she uses the predator's own weapons against it. And she defeats the predator. And she returns to her tribe. Uh, a champion, and not just a champion, not just a, a true warrior, but she is given the, the staff of the war chief because she defeated, she hunted that which was hunting her, and not just her, but the whole tribe. So she's given the 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 staff. The that's the, again the symbol of the spinal column. That's basically the end of the, end of the film. The the reality is that we as individuals have within us these negative entities. Call them sin, call them egos, psychological aggregates, nafs. It doesn't matter what you call them. But fear, lust, pride, greed, envy, anger, they're in all of us. And like the predator, they have a kind of invisibility cloak. We can't see them. Right now, as you listen and watch this live stream, can you see your lust? Can you see greed? Can you see your fear? Probably you're fairly relaxed. You're in a comfortable place. You're in a safe place. You can't, you can't see any of these negative entities inside of you. They have to be brought into activity. They need to be brought to the surface, out from their hiding place. They need to actually get their claws into us. The circumstances of our life which trigger the egos in our subconscious mind and bring them to the surface. The circumstances that happen in our lives are what bait our own internal predators. They're an opportunity for the hunters within to get what they want, which is our sexual energy, and our consciousness. It's just like the trappers who say, what did you see out there? We want to know what you know. 
the lowest level animal instinct egos don't care so much about that. They're happy just to have a knee-jerk instinctive reaction and get their fill of our sexual energy and be on with it. They're, they're like the lion, the mountain lion. And that's why they, they hunt us in the emotional center down, the, the, from the emotional center and the motor instinctive sexual center, which are the two faster centers of the body. But the more schemy egos, the more sketchy ones, the more sophisticated, complicated ones, they go after us in our head. They're the ones where we have the voices in our head talking to us. Saying, oh, no, you deserved it. Oh, go ahead. Have that other slice of cheesecake. Or, oh, no, go ahead. Do this. Do that. No, you've earned it. You've Oh, it's okay. Just this one time. Just with this one time. Just one more. Just one more. One more drink. It's okay. Just one more drink. Or whatever the case may be. They're like the trappers that want more than just the sexual force, sexual energy. They want to know what we know. They want consciousness. They want to steal that consciousness and bottle it up. The consciousness is feminine, by the way. So when we see the, the consciousness being caged, we see Naru being caged. We see the, the feminine aspect being caged. But they also know that they can use that as bait. Naru and her brother fight the predator together. This is Ida and Pingala working together. So when we balance our sexual forces inside, but specifically balance them with a partner. And we can raise the, uh, the kundalini, the sexual force, but we are balancing our masculine and feminine forces. Or we're using pranayama to circulate the sexual force. We're working with both masculine and feminine forces. And working with the sexual energy in this way, we have the capacity uh, to eliminate the egos that we have comprehended. And we can also create our solar bodies because that's the creative force, the, uh, the sexual force. But interestingly, Naru's brother, who's the better hunter, the more experienced hunter, he ends up sacrificing himself. There's an interesting phenomenon which takes place every time there is the creative act. Because the creative act requires both masculine and feminine and the third force, which is union of masculine and feminine. But what's interesting that takes place if one considers, for example, the fertilization of the egg, the creation of the zygote, the sperm dies. Sperm goes on this 
incredible journey. And when the sperm enters the egg, the sperm immediately dies. It just hands over its gen genetic material to the egg, and the egg, boom, transforms into a zygote. And then starts multiplying. The masculine contribution is all but gone. There's, it's not like it's not like the sperm and the egg unite and they join together and the combination of the two cells becomes the zygote. No. No, the sperm dies. The masculine force dies. The masculine force is sacrificed so that the feminine force can kind of do what it does, which is create life. The whole universe is feminine. The body of Mother Nature, the body of the Divine Mother is feminine. Into that feminine body, comes the manas, the divine mind. But whatever enters into that is transformed and becomes that through the body of the divine feminine. See, without the, the, without the feminine, God cannot exist. It's just, an, it's just an idea. It's just a spark, a thought. It is through the body of the Divine Mother, the Divine Feminine, that beings emerge and that action can actually take place and exist. The masculine contribution to that is always a kind of sacrificial contribution. The idea of something or the intention of something or the, the 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 will sort of vanishes and is is taken over is, is by the actual thing itself by the beingness of it this is why as gnostics we always uh, emphasize the divine mother of course we we say, you know, remember your innermost being. Well, your innermost being is masculine and feminine. But it's that feminine aspect, the Divine Mother, who furnishes us with all we need on the path, including all of our tests, trials, and ordeals. She is the one that orchestrates the circumstances in our life in accordance with the demons that are hidden deep within our subconscious mind in order to draw them out. She baits. She baits the forest. And this bait draws the egos up, the demons up. But it's up to us to hunt them. So Naru's brother sacrifices himself. That leaves Naru. But Naru has been observing and she has, observes all the time. She's watching all the time and she's learning all the time.
At the beginning of the film, Naru's not a very good hunter at all. But by the end of the film, the reason why she's able to fight the predator is because she has spent the entire duration of the film observing and learning its ways, comprehending just what kind of creature is this? How does it operate? How does its weapons work? What does it want? What, what doesn't it want? What can it see? What can't it see? And in the final climax of the film, she's able to pull all of that knowledge, all of that experiential knowledge. She's able to draw on all of that, pull it all together and synthesize a killing blow. This is precisely precisely how we need to work with our individual divine mother because it is our divine mother it is our inner naru who has the capacity to eliminate our predators what hunts us. But in order to do that, she has to know their ways. But in order to, to do that, we have to show her. She has to have access to be able to observe as Naru does, which means we have to pay attention. We have to observe ourselves. Our three brains, mind, heart, and body, at all times, so that when those demons are triggered and are brought to the surface, baited out of their hiding places and out brought out into the open where we can see them, where we can feel them, sense them, and, and, and know them because we're experiencing them now. We were, we were asking earlier, can you, can you see your fear? Can you feel your fear right now? No? Go and uh, go to a tall building and stand on the edge. And if that doesn't get you afraid, go and do something which scares you. Go get out of your comfort zone. Go do something which will trigger your fear. Then you will be able to see it. Then you will be able to feel it. But the point is, we have to be able to see it. We have to be able to feel it. And when it does come up, the, the answer is not to suppress it. The answer is not to avoid it. The answer is not to run away or, 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 or push it back down. Our Divine Mother went to great lengths to bait that demon, that predator, out of its hiding spot and into the light where we could see it. So take advantage of that. Observe it. Understand it. And all three brains. How is your fear functioning? In your mind, in your heart, and in your body. Feel how it's causing your muscles to tense up. 
hear how it's causing voices in your head to tell you A, B, C, X, Y, Z, or putting beliefs or, or uh, questioning beliefs or causing uh, mental neuroses or demanding that we take control of the situation or demanding that we go seek comfort and security and feel the fear, of course, in your heart. What are the emotions around fear or the desire to control or the desire for comfort and security or the many, 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 many different faces of fear because fear has many faces. The many faces of fear are like all of the, all of the different weapons that the predator has. Fear can come at us and fear can hunt us with an entire arsenal of weapons. And like the predator, fear can cloak itself. But whereas the predator can only go invisible, fear can make itself appear as other egos. So very often, what is behind our anger, it's not really anger. Anger has been hijacked. What's really behind our anger is fear. The desire to be in control. The desire to control outcomes. And when those outcomes aren't congruent with our expectations, then we get angry. But it was our, it was our attachment to outcomes and our demand to control those outcomes and have them turn out a certain way, which, was, which is actually what's triggering the, the anger. So it's fear that's behind the anger. Many of us can chase anger all day and all night through the forest, and we're just chasing a ghost. The real predator, the real demon we should be chasing is fear. But that's fear's nature, right? Fear is a terrorist. Fear is afraid. We have a few comments here. Uh, Magabu says, greetings, greetings. Uh, Diana says, today my husband left this material world. I am devastated. I just wanted to share my sadness with you. Sorry for interrupting your teaching. Um, Diana, please accept our deepest condolences. This is its never an easy thing. And having a loved one, but especially a partner, a husband, or a wife, leave you we don't know under what circumstances that took place but um we want to share with you our deepest sympathies and condolences and um if there's anything we can do please do let us know trevian says greetings uh, great to see you on brother thank you good nice to see nice to have you here trevian and uh, benjamin said the egos fight amongst themselves to see who will be the ruling ego to rule all as a game even. It, that's correct. There's a constant game of king of the hill taking place within our psyche, within our psychology. 
and the dominance hierarchies that we see in nature and the world, that competitiveness, and like, for example, the, uh, the way that um, uh, animals will fight among themselves to gain alpha status, that alpha status, first and foremost, is always about mating rights. Which male is going to have the first right of um, the first right of refusal, basically, and that's what they call it in business, uh, to mate with the dominant females? That's what being the alpha affords the alpha male. And, you know, geneticists and Darwinists will say, oh, but because it's all about, you know, passing on the, the stronger genome and all this kind of stuff. But really, all of it relates back to the fact that egos want our sexual energy. And in order to get that sexual energy, they have to be in that dominant position, in the locus of control at the top of the pyramid. So they fight one another to get there. In the same way that if you have a, a bunch of uh, um, uh, monkeys in a cage and you put a banana at the top of the cage, the monkeys will fight amongst themselves, you know, just and clamor and clamor over each other to be able to get that banana first. So everything that we see out in the world is a reflection of our internal psychology. That's how the egos um, work within us. And you could call it a battle for survival, but, you could, it's, but it's just what they do. It's just what they do. To be a hunter of what hunts you. We have to be like Nauru. We have to be observant. And we have to be tenacious. We cannot give up in the wake of failure because we will fail and we will fall and we will fall asleep. Because some of you may have even fallen asleep several times during this live stream. And when we say fall asleep, we don't mean literally fall asleep. We mean just your mind started to wander. You started thinking about this or that. You started doing something else, concerning yourself with something else. Anytime we lose focus concentration, we lose and, and the willpower are consciously directed focused attention under the power of our own will gets subverted. And all of a sudden we, we find ourselves getting taken on a stream of consciousness here or, or an emotion thing there or, or all of a sudden we get an itch and then that itch distracts us and we're sitting there and next thing you know we've been scratching that same itch for five minutes. 
This can happen to us while we're driving. Have you ever woken up on the highway and realize you can't remember the last 50 miles because you've been driving on autopilot? That's falling asleep. The consciousness falling asleep. Now, you didn't literally fall asleep, but you were on autopilot. You can't remember where you've been for the past half an hour. In fact, has it ever happened to you where you've woken up and uh, on the highway and you realize, oh, I, I missed my exit? Or you woken up while driving, you say, oh, I missed my turn. I passed the school. I'm at the other end of town. We've all had some form of that experience. If you have a chance, um, pray is... Uh, now, okay, so let's bring us to the last aspect of this film that we think is actually easily overlooked, but it's surprisingly apparent. If you are able to, right now, out loud... Say the title of the film. Pray. Pray. To be a hunter of that which hunts you is to pray. To pray to your Divine Mother. To give you the weapons. To give you the bait to give you the traps, to show you, to give you the opportunity to see for yourself that which is hunting you, to see it clearly. Pray for guidance. Pray for help. And when you do see the predator, when you do get a good look at it, your fear, your anger, your gluttony, your laziness, your greed, your lust, then go into meditation. And in meditation, take yourself deeper and deeper and deeper and pray, visualize your Divine Mother and pray to her. Beg her, beg her plead her, with all of your heart and all of your soul and in all humility and sincerity to help you, to guide you to the comprehension of that which you caught a glimpse of. And meditate on what you caught a glimpse of in your heart, in your mind, and in your body. Meditate on the feelings that you had, the sensations you had, the thoughts that you had. And keep meditating without any expectation, without any attachment to outcomes. Just observing and, me and meditating and using retrospection to play the scenario over and over again, not to relive it emotionally and indulge itself and get yourself lost, all caught up in it again and lost in it again, 
No, just to be able to play the facts, just the facts, the objective facts of the situation. What is the nature of this predator that's hunting me? And pray. Pray that the answer comes. The answer might not come. The answer might not come for years. But one thing is for certain. Unless you pray that the answer should come, unless you observe that the answer should come, unless you hunt that which is hunting you, all you will ever be is its prey. It will be preying on you instead of you preying on it and praying as well as predating, in other words. To pray and praying on are thus identical. They're the same thing. To predate, to hunt that which is hunting you means to pray. Yes, you are its prey. But to free yourself from that cycle, to free yourself from that situation of being its prey, you have to pray. It's right there in the title of the film. A little hidden. But the interesting thing about an E is that an E is a trident on its side. Three prongs. Masculine, feminine, and union of masculine and feminine. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The three. Remember the three gashes? Mind, heart, and body. Masculine, feminine, and union. Three is the creative law of the universe. Three is the number of the Christ, and three is also the number of the divine feminine, the creative number. And it's also the number of the thunderbird, the phoenix, which dies in the flames and rises again from the flames. Birth, death, sacrifice, the three factors. Something has to be sacrificed in an act of creation, just as something is sacrificed in the act of death. Benjamin says here, in relation to the lion, Jesus said, quote, Blessed is the lion which becomes man when consumed by man, and cursed is the man whom the lion consumes, and the lion becomes man. We should become a true human being and not be consumed by the ego. Yeah, well said. And here, again, that lion is exactly right. If the lion hunts the man and consumes the man, 
we are what we eat so that line becomes man but that's um but that but that man is cursed because the man um now the lion becomes man but but the man is cursed the man was consumed by the lion by the ego in the first in the first case lion becomes man when consumed by the man and it is our divine mother who can consume the egos in the flames but again she can only do that if she knows their ways if and she can and that can only happen if we know their ways because remember our divine mother is an aspect of our innermost being she is our true self and she is our consciousness because the consciousness is feminine the consciousness is feminine what is masculine in consciousness is that which comes through the consciousness from the innermost, from our Atman. That's manas, that's divine mind. Right? The spark, the seed that fecundates all of nature. Well, those are the ideas, those are the commands, those are the, that's the still soft voice which comes to us from our innermost Atman. But consciousness is receptive. And anything which is receptive is feminine. Because that is the feminine force. It is receptive. It receives. That is the womb. That is space itself, the akash. Well, what is space if not receptive? Right? The space is, it's, it's empty. It's there. It's just waiting to receive. And what, what does it receive? That which allows things to exist in, within that space. Um, this film can be streamed online in the United States on Hulu. Now, if you don't have a Hulu account, you can sign up for a 30-day free trial to watch this film for free. Elsewhere in the world, uh, um, we're not sure. You might have to use a VPN or in Canada... It's on uh, Disney Plus Canada. There may there are certainly other ways in which you might be able to see the film, but we leave that to you and your own devices. We won't talk openly about those ways here. But one way or another, you can watch the film online. We watched it. We watched it. We just streamed it. It's not in theaters. Let's put it that way. And um, when you watch it, watch it consciously. Watch it with your heart. And allow yourself to engage with the story on the level of its archetypal foundations, on the le level of symbol and allegory. Because so many who are talking about this movie are getting caught up in details and are getting caught up in their own biases and are getting caught up in, in, in superficial and intellectual and emotional 
and visceral uh, nonsense. And it is nonsense. The movie is about an alien who comes to Earth to hunt trophies. He has laser-guided bolts as part of his weaponry. To watch a movie like this and not suspend one's disbelief and not allow oneself to be whisked away to a different level of reality, to, to the world of dreams, to the world of, the, of absolute, to the world of archetypes, is to completely miss the point. This is how we should be watching anything and everything we watch. And indeed, this is how we should be going through our life. The circumstances, the people, the events, the, the signs, the symbols that encounter us each and every day as our Divine Mother and our innermost being is attempting to speak to us send us a sign, guide us along the path. Because we are the protagonist, we are the hero of our own story. And more importantly, we are all supposed to be hunters. We are all supposed to be spiritual warriors. And what's more, we are all supposed to be the war chief and receive the sign, the war chief's staff, as we receive recognition by our tribe, by the tribal elders. Who are the tribal elders? the 12 independent aspects of our being. You may know them better as the zodiac, Aries, Taurus, Gemini, Cancer, Leo, Virgo, Libra, Scorpio, Sagittarius, Capricorn, Aquarius, Pisces. These all have their lower manifestations. These all have their peculiar eccentricities as they apply to personalities, as they apply to terrestrial vessels, as they apply to us as the vessel, as the servant. But these 12 individuated aspects have profound solar aspects, higher aspects, superior aspects. They're the 12 independent aspects of the Logos itself. They are our tribe. And when we hunt that which is hunting us, and we, like Nauru, cut its head off and come back to the, our village, come back to our tribe, 
the 12 independent aspects of our innermost being. And we hold in our hand the head of what was hunting us. This is Perseus who cuts off the head of Medusa. Medusa who has, who has on her head a thousand uh, serpents, poisonous serpents. And she's a demon. And Perseus, but Perseus has to see her, but he can't gaze directly at her because she'll turn him to stone. But she has to see him. She has to observe him. Or we got that backwards. He has to observe her. Perseus has to observe Medusa. Because the other aspect, of course, as we mentioned, is that our egos work for mechanical nature. Mechanical nature is feminine, and it is our fallen Eve, our fallen Ida, in which our egos exist in the Kunda buffer organ. That's why we have many tales and fairy tales where we have wicked witches and evil queens and so on and so forth. Because that's that aspect of the archetype. That's that aspect of the metaphysical reality expressing itself through symbol and allegory. But our tribe wants us to succeed in becoming a hunter and hunting that which is hunting us. This is the work. This is what it means to be a spiritual hunter. Anyone that has any other definition is wrong. Period. They're delusional. They're living a fantasy world. What we are here to hunt is what is hunting us, and what is hunting us is within. Is within. And it is haunting our tribe. It is holding our tribe hostage. Benjamin says, the Akash makes me think and link. Uh, the Akash makes me think and link it to our memory. Well, there's something called the Akashic Records, yes. The Akash has a memory. It's our collective memory. It's the collective memory of the Logos, of the universe. But that memory bank, that metaphysical library, that bank of servers or bank of uh, magnetic tape or however you want to uh, envision it as, as recording and as recording everything, that metaphysical recorder is feminine. That's the body of the Divine Mother. And of course, being that it's the nature of the Divine Feminine to be receptive and to nurture the what, what they call the nesting instinct, yes? So when you watch a bird build a nest, and then it brings you know, puts feathers and it puts soft things in there right? because it's going to be laying eggs there. It's the nesting instinct, right? That's the feminine. That's the a feminine instinct. Does anyone have any other questions?
Um, if not, we, uh, we mentioned that this is going to be a slightly shorter uh, uh, session. Um, and we certainly think that that's appropriate given the sharp focus that this film brings to us in a very visceral way and using the archetypes and the, the symbols and allegories um, in a very condensed, concentrated way. The film itself is only like 90 minutes. What do you say to someone who says, it's just a movie? We may, depending on the individual, we may counter with another question. Like, is the Bible just a book? Is Shakespeare just a play? Is Beethoven just a song? Is the Ninth Symphony, fourth movement of the Ninth Symphony, just another ditty? If their answer, or, or is the Sistine Chapel, the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, or the Mona Lisa, or the Last Supper, are these just another doodle? If their answer to any of these is yes, then don't bother with them. You're not going to change their mind. I mean, someone either has the capacity to comprehend high art when they see it, or they do not. And if you're attempting to reveal the hidden nature, the secrets, you're tr trying to lift the veil on the secrets and show them the deeper meanings, if their answer to your attempt is, oh, you're, you're reading all that into it. Oh, it's nothing. It's just another movie. It's just a Hollywood schlock. It's just another streaming movie. And you're reading all that into it or whatever then you're wasting your time with that individual. Show them, show them, you know, what it is. And um, now, if you think you might be able to get through to them, then we suggest using the bicycle analogy and say, you know what? It's only just a movie if you go through life, if you continue going through life, uh, riding a unicycle, being a unicyclist. But last week we, or uh, we, we um, was it last week or two weeks ago? We talked about the... Um, No, it was two weeks ago. We talked about the 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 bicycle analogy. We said, would you try to go up a mountain on a unicycle? Would you go to the market on a unicycle? Would you try to carry a hundred pounds of uh chop of uh, chopped wood 
on the back of a unit uh back of a unicycle and perhaps the piece de resistance would you strap a baby seat to a unicycle if the answer is no why are you living your life like a unicycle and why are you watching movies riding a unicycle it's a very powerful analogy it's a very powerful symbol and it it's it's the triangulation right it's the being balanced between the 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 two wheels of hume and manas earth and heaven and manas is divine mind hume is earth that includes earthly intellect so yes if you watch a movie just with your earthly intellect intellect and worldly desires and visceral sensations then yes it's just another movie because you're only using those faculties you're only right you're only riding a unicycle so what else could it be but look at the limitations that you're placing on yourself by riding that unicycle versus look at what people can do with a bicycle And that's that. If you think you can get through to, through to them, that may be the approach that we would take. And uh, you're most welcome. Okay, any more questions from anyone? Any more thoughts? Any more questions? Uh, has anybody seen this film? <laughs> has anybody seen this movie? Or is it just us? Um, Aisling says, um, she says, what an incredible analogy of the battle that goes on with the ego within us. I am inspired to watch this film now with an esoteric perspective. Thank you for sharing this with us. You're most welcome. And um, we think you may get uh, a lot out of it. There's more that we could, we, we think we got, we think we hit most of the highlights. If there's more, we're more than happy for you to go and discover that for yourself. If there's more that we missed. Benjamin says, thank you, dear brother, for elaborating on this topic. We should prey upon the egos that hunt us, and we should pray when being preyed upon to get divine guidance. Be a spiritual warrior. Yes, thank you. Beautifully summed up. Thank you, Benjamin. Very well, uh, uh, very uh, good summation there. But yes, the, uh, the, Coman the Comanche word that they use in the film is uh, katamiya, to hunt what is hunting you. And to pr and pray, right? To pray upon that which would have you be its prey. Words have power. Words have meaning. And sound has power and meaning. And as Benjamin says here, we should we should we should pray when being preyed upon. Pray to your divine mother, the divine feminine. That is the force. That is the energy that is the force that is the strength and the power that we have to work with within to remember your divine mother observe yourself your three brains and how our egos prey upon us in those three brains and through those three brains and then meditate upon that and pray to your divine mother to help liberate you that, to help you comprehend 
and see how those predators prey upon you. And when you have the comprehension, that means your Divine Mother, like Nara, knows what she can do now, knows what she needs to do now. And then she can do it. Any more questions or comments? Um, if you have the opportunity to watch this film, that we would very much uh, be interested to um, to get your feedback after the fact. But you have time. It's not going anywhere. It's on the internet. It'll be on the internet for quite some time, so there's no rush. If there are no more questions, we would like to thank everyone for uh, being with us again this afternoon. And uh, we look forward to seeing you all again next week. Uh, until then, uh, be well, have a good week, and, uh, and as always, uh, inverential peace. Take care, everyone.